Hello, hello, y'all. Hey, it's me, Robin. And before we get into today's episode, I'm here to let you know that the club is open right now for new members. I'm going to take a couple minutes to fill you in on all that the club is offering right now. So if you know for sure you're not interested in joining the club, you're just going to want to hit the forward button a few times until you hear that baffling behavior show jingle. Okay, so the club is a virtual community for families of kids with vulnerable nervous systems and big baffling behaviors. Many families in the club are parenting kids with a history of complex trauma, but definitely not all. Some are parenting kids with vulnerabilities that emerge from their neurotype or their sensory system or their giftedness or their neuroimmune disorder. And of course, some have no idea why their child's nervous system is so vulnerable. The primary purpose of the club and why I've created it the way that I have is connection and co-regulation. Because when I reflect back on my time as a therapist, it wasn't the skills and strategies and tools and techniques I taught parents that mattered the most. What mattered most was how connection and co-regulation strengthened their owl brain so that they could stay more regulated in the face of the chaos in their home. Then they could, number one, actually use the tools, and number two, start to feel a little bit better even before the tools started to work. The club can be accessed online both through your browser on your computer and through an app. And it's open, of course, 24-7. There's a very active forum, a huge video library, and multiple live events every month. Sometimes I teach a masterclass on a specific topic. Sometimes we come together for group coaching or just to ask questions and pick, pick my brain. We have two sessions every month called Connect and Co-Regulates, and those are designed to offer exactly that. There's no teaching, no coaching, just a place for you to be seen and heard by people who get it. Currently, we are also offering once a month bonus sessions for siblings of dysregulated kids. The club is intended to be kind of like a buffet. There is a ton in it, not because you're supposed to do everything in the club. You take what you need when you need it and come back when you're ready for more. If you could use a little extra support, consider joining us. You can read all about all the details over at robingobel.com slash the club. I'll put a link in the show notes And we're open today until the end of the day, Friday, May 3rd. All right, y'all, here's that episode you're waiting for. Hey again, welcome back, or maybe welcome for the first time to the Parenting After Trauma podcast. I'm your host, Robin Goble, and you've just joined me on a journey of taking the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human and translating all of that for parents of kids who've experienced trauma as well as, you know, parents who are just interested in the science of behavior or parents who are parenting intense kids with big behaviors. I'm a psychotherapist with over 15 years of experience working with kids with big behaviors, many of who have experienced significant trauma, but some of who just have other differences that are leading to big behaviors. I'm also a self-diagnosed brain geek and relationship freak. 
I studied the brain kind of obsessively and even taught the science of interpersonal neurobiology in a certificate program. I started this podcast on a whim with the intention to get you free, accessible support as fast as possible. So the podcast isn't fancy and I do very little editing, though I must say we are quickly approaching our one year birthday. Not bad for a podcast I started on a whim. Anyway, if you love this episode, add Parenting After Trauma to your favorite podcast player and share with your friends and colleagues. After you do that, head over to my website, grab the free ebook that I wrote all about the brilliance of attachment. Readers of the ebook are saying that not only is the book beautifully laid out and easy to read, but it's offering a perspective on attachment that they've never heard before. And that's shifting things for them. You can download the ebook for free at robingobel.com slash ebook. In today's episode, you're going to hear from Julie Beam, Executive Director of the Attachment and Trauma Network, or ATN. ATN hosts an annual conference that's currently open for registration called Creating Trauma-Sensitive Schools. I'm excited to share with you what ATN offers parents and educators, including their hybrid in-person and virtual conference, and to chat a bit more about how to best advocate for your child at school. As always, today's episode is sponsored by The Club, the virtual community of connection, co-regulation, and of course, a little education for parents of kids impacted by trauma. The Club was an idea I had last year that has far, far exceeded what I ever dreamed was possible. But y'all, that's really only because of who showed up and joined the club, the extraordinary caregivers and professionals who make up the fabric of the club, the way they bravely show up for each other and themselves. Oh my gosh, y'all. That's like, it's way more than I ever dreamed was possible ever. If you need to feel seen to be gotten and understood, we would love to have you. If you head over to robingobel.com slash the club, you'll be able to add yourself to the waiting list and be the first to know when we open our doors to new members again. If you find yourself in need of support now, while you're waiting for the doors of the club to open, you can work through my self-paced digital course, Parenting After Trauma, Minding the Heart and Brain. And you can find that at robingobel.com slash parent course. Okay, so Julie Beam and I have actually known each other for many, many years. And every now and again, we have the good fortune to find an excuse to pause our busy lives and connect. I'm super honored that she took the time to chat with me and to share with you everything that ATN offers. So let's just get started. Julie, thanks so much for waking up early, having coffee with me this morning, and just honestly really making sure that my listeners know all about you and Attachment Trauma Network and everything that you're doing. So welcome and thank you. Thanks, Robin, for having me. I can't imagine a better way to spend a Friday morning. (laughs) It is early. Maybe can hear the roosters growing. It's that early. (laughs) It's okay. We're up and at them, right? (laughs) I'm an early gal. So when you said okay to this time, I was like, all right, let's go. (laughs) Well, let's just start at the very beginning and tell my listeners who you are, what you do, what Chatham Trauma Network does. Sure. Um, Well, I'm Julie Beam, and I'm the Executive Director of the Attachment and Trauma Network and have been since 2009, which sounds like eons ago. Yes. Um, But 
uh, ATN is actually older than that, uh, founded in 1995, uh, primarily for families of children who back in the olden days had attachment problems, right. and attachment disorders. That yes. was because no one had connected attachment to early childhood trauma. Yes. Back before the brain science was able to, to inform all of that. Yes. So I actually discovered this group of parents when, when my husband and I brought home our fourth child uh, from China who had significant impacts, mm-hmm. um, neglect, and probably what, what would be um, diagnosed these days as developmental trauma disorder. But of, of course, we didn't know what we didn't know, right? Back then, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so, so we were, we were looking for help and not finding local um, um, professional help that we needed, but someone suggested that we talk to the folks there who literally at that point were on the phone and somewhat on the internet, because it was 1995, about 24 seven helping families across the country try to find resources. So they were, you know, it was the first place that that I got aware, awareness and validation that I wasn't insane yes. <laughs> about what I was seeing. Exactly. With with my daughter because we had three older children and we we knew that what we were seeing was not not typical, but we yeah. couldn't figure out what it was. Yeah. So they became my support and my, you know, my um, lifeline at that point and so over the course of the next few years, as, as we started to get what we needed, mm-hmm. um, it just felt natural to turn and give back to yeah. the organization, right. Yes. And to help other families. And so that's been, that's been kind of the culture of ATN all along is yes. that the people who, the people who are involved in, in um, working for us have been in a turn and give back um, mode um, which is wonderful. What a, yeah. it's, it's a wonderful place to be, right? Yes. That we do that. Um, it has been pretty much an all volunteer, all mm-hmm. as I call it, ragtag group of, <laughs> group of parents. Those are the for, best kinds. Yeah, for a very long time, right? Like, yes. like we were, you know, we we do some advocacy or we do, you know, run support groups or we do these things and we kind of, you know, just do them on, you know, on our own purse strings and, and, and do the best that we could. And then, um, and, and then trauma started to become, well, for lack of a better word, popular, right. Right. It started to become recognized. And so things started happening. And even though we'd been a nonprofit all along, we hadn't really been a business. And so, um, you know, in the last 10 years, we've sort of become that business. And in the last five years in particular, um, something really unique happened to us. And that was that we, uh, they weren't even a group, but about five or six members from across the country who were educators, as well as being parents of children impacted by trauma, were saying things like all of the things I'm learning about how to build relationships and how to help my child regulate and all of this, this good information we're using in my classroom or in my school, or I'm attempting to do this or, and they, they were all, they weren't talking to each other at the beginning. They were all talking back to me and to Mm -hmm. the the staff here. And we're like, wait a minute, you know, that the second biggest problem that that any family has whose children have been impacted by trauma is that once they get their lives to a stable place, then they send their children to school and 
you know, and anything can happen. Yeah. Like there's a lot of misunderstanding there. Right. So yes. it's like, oh, this makes sense. So we pulled the group together and we literally had a three hour lunch. They kicked us out because it was time <laughs> set for dinner in the restaurant because I mean that the energy in the room was so, so in, intense about what, yes. what are we going to do here? What are we going to do? And, um, we didn't even know if there was anybody besides us talking about trauma-informed schools mm-hmm. out there. And this was 2015, maybe. And so the first thing that we did was start researching who was doing this work all across the country. And we found, you know, we found great pockets, usually, usually associated with universities, like mm-hmm. in, you know, the folks in Massachusetts, um, the, the, well, the folks, compassionate schools out in Washington state, that was really a statewide mm-hmm movement um the folks in wisconsin just there there were just pockets of people um everywhere and mostly they didn't know about each other either so for two years we did audio summits where we just like this just interviewed all of these people to find out what they were doing all over the world uh, mostly all over the country and the interesting thing was that that they started to connect with each other. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just like, wow, you're doing this, I'm doing this, and they're researching. And so from that, my my um my faithful educator advisors and and now some of them were on the staff said, okay, we've got to do a conference. And and they drug me kicking and screaming into this conference. Oh, really? Because oh my gosh, yes, in that in the Around 2006 or seven, one of the first things that I did as a youthful volunteer to this organization was, oh, we have to do a conference. So we did these parent conferences and they were beautiful in content, but each time only about a hundred parents were able to come because, you know, parents travel, right? Yes. There's children that are in crisis to go somewhere. So no matter where we put it in the country and we moved it through, we did three of them. And every time afterwards, we're all like, how much money do you have in your bank account? You know, to pay the, pay the, the, you know, what, so we barely squeaked by each time. And you know, from a business standpoint, because now I was like, oh man, now I'm running a business. Now we're paying people. Now it's about livelihoods. It's a whole different ballgame. And I'm going, wait, we can't do this. (laughs) And they're like, oh no, we have to do it. People will come. And I was like, okay, I don't know. (laughs) So I'm signing contracts bigger than our bank account at that point. And I was like, this is, this is bad. And it wasn't, it wasn't bad. We took the risk and, um, and several people that we had met back in 2015 and had been, you know, been in conversations with showed up to present amazing information. Wow. And the first year we had almost 700 people show up. <gasps> and it was like, 700 wow. people. Yeah. Oh, wow. What a relief. And so that, and so our trajectory since then uh-huh. had been almost to double that number every year. So we're like, wow, um, this, you know, it's so validating to finally be able to get that information out. And I know that, that people are, that who are coming to trauma informed work at this point, especially educators, they're thinking, they might be thinking it's a new thing. And we're, we're, we're sitting here going, no, yeah. <laughs> it's not, you know, there's, there's nothing new about trauma. First of all, there's yeah. nothing new about the need for, for good trauma-informed practices, but um, 
but it, it's been an exciting um, acknowledgement and validation of the work that we know good people, and you're included in that, have been doing for, for years. Right. Yeah. I wanted to pause the episode real quick and read you this testimonial from one club member. This person writes in, the club has been life-changing for me. For me, feeling alone in the stress and the overwhelm of parenting a child with complex trauma has been traumatic. Here in the club, we are finding healing for ourselves by feeling seen and heard and validated, even though we may have come here for our children's healing. Oh, y'all, that is exactly what I'm trying to do in the club, to create a space that's for you that also brings healing to your kids. So the club's open for new members until April 28th. We'd love to have you. RobinGobel.com slash the club. All right, let's get back to the episode. That is so exciting. And I, I love events. I love putting them on, but I also was just having a conversation recently because I've been making, you know, preliminary thoughts for what I want to do in 2023. If I ever get to leave the house ever again, I've been, I've been one of those people (laughs) very quarantined. Um, and you know, events for parents really aren't they, you're right. They just don't have what parents need to access in far as far as the format goes that I have, you know, in-person events are much more accessible to people doing this work professionally. Mm -hmm. Um, and so my plans for 2023 are probably to stay pretty virtual for my parent work and maybe start to do some more in-person stuff and, and attend conferences again in the future, which will be super fun. Um, but yeah, so I have had a similar experience. Like conferences just aren't a great, format for parents. They can't leave. They don't have childcare. They can't leave their kids with anyone else. They don't have the, you know, just resources to, to travel mm-hmm. and have the luxury of, of several days away. So I wonder though, I haven't had the opportunity to be, to come to the conferences on my list in the future, as we again, like reemerge from COVID exactly. world. Exactly. Um, do a lot of parents come or is it almost exclusively educators? It's almost it's almost exclusively educators. So last year we, oh, we so pulled exciting. a, we pulled a difference and, you know, I mean, we were, we were coveting it and it yep. was going to have to be virtual. Yep. And, um, and that didn't feel scary to us because we've, we have lived in this environment right. all these years, right? Exactly. My, yep. my um, I, I get it. My staff and all of our volunteers and our board members are all across the country. There are, you know, I actually have two board members in Atlanta right now by accident mm-hmm, with me, you mm-hmm. know? So, which is really great because I can actually, you know, well, it's Get still together. COVID and we're still doing, yeah, we, yeah. We've, got, we've been together one time physically, you know, <laughs> since we, since they've, the, and then the rest of it's all been Zoom, but um but we're used to that virtual. So yes. it was finding the right virtual platform. Yeah. But it occurred to us that that in the virtual environment, we could run a parent track uh-huh. and see how it goes. So yes. we did. And we even had some scholarship money given to us. And so uh-huh. we were able to scholarship some parents. So we did have a parent track last year. And it was good. 
you know, there, it wasn't super highly attended. Uh Um, You know, I think in part because parents at were distracted with having their children. I mean, like last year, last February was in the midst of all kinds of craziness. And most children were were schooling from home. And um, what we noticed about the virtual conference and again, it kept our numbers the same. We were like, oh, what's going to happen? Because we were we were at the point where if we had had exponentially increased, we would have over 2000 people and we had 1600 people at the virtual. So we felt oh, really positive about yes. that, that people were willing to come. Um, but we noticed that a lot of people didn't watch in real time and that that a lot of A lot of the people who did attend were people that probably wouldn't come to our live conference. They were private mental health practitioners, Yes, you know, and they may not have had their own budget to travel or they were rural schools or, you know, even after school providers and, you know, YMCAs and, you know, people that we were, hadn't been touching with our conference before. So this year we're, we're crazy enough to attempt to to do a hybrid model and do both mostly because that's what folks have asked us for. And the, the parent um, piece is tricky because initially we kept it very separate, made them look like two different um, programs, two different websites. Okay. Because we didn't want educators think, thinking that a bunch of parents were telling them what to do. And that's important, right? Yes. So I I just want to pause and just really articulate that what you're talking about is creating an environment of felt safety for the people, right? The perception, whatever they're allowing, you know, the, the folks that you wanted to show up and learn and be nourished Mm -hmm. to be so thoughtful about creating an environment that would give them the felt safety that they needed. And I, you know, could expect nothing else from you, but love looking at those like kind of really important parallel processes happening that those of us who advocate so hard for kids that mm-hmm. we have to use everything we know about advocating for kids to advocate for the grownups too. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, we, and we wanted them to, to hear it and we wanted yeah. them to, to, to realize that the people who were providing this information to them yes. were, you know, did have backgrounds yes. in education and yeah. all of that too. And we didn't, you know, and even though what brought most of us to this particular place was parenting children who have been impacted by trauma. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so, um, so that, that worked, you know, in the, in the initial, um, and there's, there's just this rub that exists and, and it has to, I guess, because, you know, money gets involved, um, between helping parents know how to advocate for their children in schools and then also helping schools. Right. Yes. So we were aware of that. And a lot of the um, educators who are regulars at our conference and participate with us and speak with us that, and and are involved in this movement are very pro. They're very child centric in their in their view of things, yeah. and um, and they're very pro making sure the children get what they need. And so they don't feel that rub as much as other educators might, Mm -hmm. but it's still there. And so we have to recognize that, you know, that 
that while we we would give the same information to both groups, you know, it has to be done in slightly different ways. Different ways, and yeah. And there's big feelings around that. And yes. and and you know, and as a parent myself who had those experiences with the school system, I totally understand the big feels on the yes. parents, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> You exactly. don't know what you're doing. You don't know what to ask for. You don't know how to get the school to do it because you don't even know what it is exactly. in a lot of cases, right? And what they can do or can't do. Or in, so you have a lot of questions and you have a lot of angst. And um, and that's that's something that needs to be, you know, needs to be addressed separately. So we did that a little bit in our track last year, and then we circled back this fall and had a very specific um, online, um, I guess you would call it a conference. It was an event, mm-hmm. it was a two-day event, where we really tried to zero in and talked, uh, talked about um, special ed issues and, and trauma-informed issues and what it looks like, you know, what, what can happen, what it mm-hmm. looks like in the classroom, what, it, you know, what, what you could ask for, resources you, you know, could point your school to, because they're are there are many fabulous trauma informed schools out there and then there are many many schools that haven't haven't yeah. started to walk that path yet right, so right. we we decided to separate them on purpose i guess yes. is what what i'm saying yes. and and not that parents wouldn't get great things out of our schools conference because they would yeah but it just it 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 just feels like parents need their own space to you know to just talk through that yeah, well, what you're saying makes total sense that like, again, even though the information is so similar, surely that you're you know providing in both spaces that it's, it's offered through a different lens mm-hmm. and that that really, really matters. Again, I mean, you're just really talking about using everything we know about the brain for the audience, right? Like how do we create right. health safety? How do we offer it in a way that their brain can be regulated enough to actually learn instead of feeling defended, you know, that we're, right. we're collaborating with and teaming up with and, and right or wrong, like there's some certain circumstances that have to go, go into that right. um, and creating that space. So I totally love that. Plus I hear you saying too, that, you know, what parents need more is how do you approach the school? What are your rights? How mm-hmm. can you advocate? How can you do this in a way that's more most likely to lead to a positive outcome instead right. of more kind of conflict um, yes. with the schools? Right. No, and I think it's really important to to arm parents with that with yeah. the strategy of how to advocate because yes. because you really do in my and in my experience as a parent, you do one of two things. And this, and this again, was kind of like that whole fight, flight, freeze thing, right? Mm-hmm. That you, you're either, you, you either come in like a bulldog, like yep. you're just really angry yep. and, 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 you know, so then you come in and all of your, all of this um, pent up anger and aggression that you have, yes. um, you know, makes the school instantaneously defensive. Right. Yep. And, yep. and, and you're getting, you're getting nowhere there, or you are passive and not necessarily asserting, you know, and, and then things don't go well either. And you right. don't even know what to assert for. And right. you know, so there's just, there's, there are, um, 
are advocacy strategies that if you understand which which way you're more likely to go, that you can you know have other people with you to yes. you know, support you in that. Yep. You can you know you can pre-plan you know what's going to happen. Yes, and, um, and even pre-plan what you what prioritizing what you most want to accomplish. Like if you know, and that's that's the big thing is that some schools are super willing to work with children who've been impacted by trauma, but they don't understand and they don't know because they haven't yep. been informed. Yep. And so they'll ask the parents, well, what is it that we should be doing? Yes. And the parents don't have that answer necessarily because they're not, they're not educators. They're not in the classroom and seeing exactly what's going on. And they, and, and we get that question a lot. What can I ask for? What yeah. can be, what is possible? What should I be asking for? And those, you know, those are questions you should strategize ahead of time so that you've got that answer. If the teachers ask you that. Right? Yes. And so these are things that you cover in this, like you called it an event conference online. Did you plan? I assume that that must have, did that happen recently? It did in yes. September. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. It was like that happened recently. So do you have, is that something you're thinking is going to be something you're going to do regularly? Um, we annually. Are, we're thinking about doing it annually in some way, shape or form. Um, and also taking some of the basic recordings that are there from those webinars and, Great. and, and releasing them because some of the things like how an IEP works and right. you know, those types of things don't change. Right. right. And right. You know, there's um, no reason to, to have to represent those and they can go farther to families if we're, if right. we get them out, out right. there. So yes, um, it's important. Yeah. That's important information to them. So you may have heard that the club is open today for just a few days for new members. And I wanted to share with you what this club member said about her time in the club. This member says, I was way more successful handling a stressful situation than I would have been a year ago. And it is truly a result of the material I've learned through Robin and the club. Oh my gosh, y'all. I love, love, love hearing that. There's no way that we can promise that the stress from your kids is going to change because we're just not in control of anybody else but ourselves. But what we can do is work to change how we respond to those stressors. And that's what we do over in the club. We are open for new members from now until the 28th of April, and we would love to have you. Yeah. I I mean, I think again, some of it even goes back a little bit to felt safety when you have, when you don't even understand the system you're working inside of, I mean, well, first of all, you don't know what to do. There's this obvious problem, but also it's quite dysregulating Mm -hmm. (laughs) to have no idea the, you know, the rules basically of the game. And so providing just that structure and giving just some ideas about like, well, here's the rules of the game that you're playing. Mm-hmm. And then we'll also give you the tools to how to do that right. um, goes so far. And just like you said, it's not information that changes that much right. um, 
Awesome. So I'll make sure too that I just have all these places people can go and and find what you're doing and find the the resources and support awesome. that they that they need. So if you were talking with a parent, which of course you do probably every day almost, who says like I just don't even know where to start. Let's actually go through two scenarios. One is a school that is um interested. <laughs> And one is a school that isn't because regretfully that happens too, right? That Mm -hmm. schools sometimes are very overt about being like not interested. And sometimes Mm -hmm. they're a little less overt, but their behavior is making it very clear that they're not interested. So just super short, you know, just tips maybe for both situations. Like if you have a family who's like, the school says that they're interested, Um, but they just don't even know where to begin. What do you tell those families to do with like connecting with and advocating for their kid at school? Um, that's a pretty broad question. (laughs) Uh, Well, maybe that's it. Maybe the answer is that's too broad. I have to get more information. That's right. Yeah. The, yeah, the, I guess the two pieces of information are the, 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 the two paths would be, does your child currently um, qualify for services that that's a question for special services whether they're a 504 through the ada or whether they're an iep through um through idea which um those and then those are those have their own rules then if the the game there's they're slightly different games but if they do that qualify for services in either one of those then that makes um makes it a little easier to, um, to request things yes. because you have the power of those, of those frameworks, um, in, in terms of what you ask for and, um, and what is required of the school. Um, if they don't qualify for those, mm-hmm. then, <clears throat> excuse me, if they don't qualify for those, then the, um, the impetus would be on, you know, should the, should they qualify? I mean, right. like, like, you know, should, go, going down the path of, of evaluating and figuring out, should they, should they qualify for those services? And if not, then you really are um, at the, at the mercy of trying to build a relationship with the teachers Yes, and suggest to the teachers things that you know are working or, you know, or maybe yes. things that you and your therapist know are working yes. and, you know, and, and make that, um, you know, make that plea or that, that conversation. And that's going to vary from year to year to year, from teacher to teacher to teacher. Yeah. Um, not that, not that the other with the IEP or a 504 plan wouldn't too, but, um, but that's, you know, that's a hard trek. And yet there are, there's a lot of um, movement in the education world towards whole child learning, even if they're not using the words trauma-informed. They're they're looking at whole child. They're looking at at trying to individualize things for all children. And so you um, providing information, especially if you have a willing teacher. And that's, that's to me, I think that, the interesting key because uh, 
Robin, my biggest wounding in raising my daughter who was impacted by trauma was around the school. I had, uh, everybody has, has some place that that doesn't go well for them in that, in that trajectory, but mine was a school and I got really beat up um, emotionally and just, you know, and was determined to get her what she needed. And so it was, it was a several year battle for me. And then battle is probably is the only word I can use because afterwards I was, you know, I was wounded and trying really hard not to hold on to that as, you know, as, as something negative. So I, it was, you know, this whole trauma informed um, schools movement at ATN is cathartic for me. (laughs) I'm just like going, wow, I, I meet and I'm around educators who are, are educators because they love children and they yes. care and they want, yes. they want the best for the children and they're working hard and they sometimes run against their own systems and up against, you know, it really um, challenging things too. Uh, but, uh, but they're out there. And so if you're, if you're battling right now and you feel like everybody's against you, I got to tell you, there are probably quite a few educators in your school system right yeah. now who are are working hard to you know to make this a whole child child first you know child centered kind of thing um yeah. and that may not help you in your personal journey but it's you know it was encouraging to me to know that that's that there are that that most teachers are out there doing their job because they love the kids, right? Absolutely. I think that hope piece is actually really important. And it's actually one of the things I've tried to think about in my podcast and in my guests is that um, even if, you know, my listeners are never really directly impacted by the guests or the services or they they listen to my podcast and they hear about all these things they wish were available to their kids, which is unfortunately way more true than, I wish it was as far as mm-hmm. access to services. I do find that people feel a sense of hope and being seen and being reminded that these people do exist. Like even if they mm-hmm. aren't in your life or they're not present in your, they're not, able, they're not making a direct impact in the life of your child, just knowing that there are people out there who are doing this important, like tireless work you know, I've had a lot of parents tell me feels really regulating, feels really helps them feel really seen and just gives them mm-hmm. a little hope to just keep going. Yes. Um, and so even hearing that like 1600 people attended the conference just, I think, inspires a little bit of hope in humanity almost. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> on some days it's hard to feel that hope. Um, so just no, to it, know that you reminded me, and I've got to tell you this story, you know, it's so exciting when, when the work is reflected back in places yeah. that you don't expect. I was at a family funeral this weekend, this yeah. last I'm weekend. Sorry. And, um, and yeah, it, it is what it is. Right. And one of my extended relatives had switched careers about five years ago and she's a first grade teacher. And so we were having a conversation about, you know, how's, how's school. And I, I expected lots of negative, you know, Mm -hmm. because this is the roughest school year probably ever, you know, at least ever in modern times. Right. And she's like, you know, um, my children are precious. And she's like, they came in and they were just wild. 
And she's like, but we've been, she was like, like wild, like they've never been before because they're first graders. And so they missed that whole kindergarten, right? They missed that whole thing that happens with kindergartners learning how to socialize and work in a group. Right. Mm -hmm. And she's like, so we've, so, so we're, we're using all the tools and we just, we're doing this little mindfulness. And she started doing this figure eight on her hand as she was talking to me and talking about this. And I'm just standing there in awe of all the words that she's like giving back to me. And I said, Oh, that's so great for their brains. I mean, I like immediately like all kinds of, and she goes, I know. And so she started reflecting back to me what she'd been taught about this. And, and she's like, and it really works. And she's like, it's working for every single one of them. There's, I have got a couple, three that we have to work carefully with on that. But she's like, I, I'm not getting necessarily to everything in the academic curriculum that I should be, but we've got this part down pat. And I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, I just, I have to hug you now because. No kidding. It's like tearful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It is really so inspiring, especially if we leave like our um, echo chamber of trauma informed people. Mm-hmm. Right. Which yeah. is, you know, a great place to hang out. And then also sometimes we have to leave it. And then also to hear like, okay, we leave the echo chamber and sometimes we're here, we get to hear the same stuff even out there, just right. like the regular world from regular people. It is right. so, you know, and she hadn't made the connection between what she was doing and what right. my work what you was, do. but it was <laughs> just, a, it was really an interesting moment where I was going, Oh my gosh, you're doing it. And I it's love working. that. <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh. Thank you for sharing that. That is super, just like I said, just hopeful. Okay. So then so you gave great ideas about like, if you have a a school that's, that's open, you know, let's first get super practical. Is this child have an IEP or 504? Are they Mm -hmm. eligible for one? Can we request the steps the school go through to determine if they're eligible for one? Because that does matter as far as then what you do next. And then if you're taught, a lot of these kids don't qualify for either. Um, Mm -hmm. And then it's about, you know, the kinds of skills we're talking about in parents with their kids, right? Connect, let them know you're on their team. You have the same goals as they do. You want to help them not be adversarial, which just like in parenting requires first, like our own moment of regulation. (laughs) Because if we go in with our very valid feelings of anger, very yes. valid feelings. Mm-hmm. They're just not going to help us achieve the outcome that we're hoping for. And those feelings deserve to be like tended to and cared for because they're very valid feelings, but tend and care for them outside that meeting yes. with the yeah. school. Yeah. Which really it's like, use this is, in a way it's the same strategies that we talk about with our kids, mm-hmm. uh, which is nice. It's a little relief. Like, okay, I don't have to learn a whole new thing. But what if you have a school that is either overtly or just through their actions, very clear, like we aren't interested or we as a, as a community, as a system are so traumatized ourselves that we don't have any access to the part of our nervous system that would allow us <laughs> collectively as a system, exactly, which is true. I mean, I'm an eternal oh. optimist. I give people the benefit of the doubt. And I really believe, like, I really believe most people have become teachers because they love kids mm-hmm. and they, if they don't currently, they used to, 
<laughs> like, and they're good people. They're good people who also want their jobs to be fun and better right. than they are. But because of the systemic trauma inside the system, and, and then that's just one little piece of it, you know, that they've lost connection to their own compassionate place, curious place, mm -hmm. the less rigidity ability to be flexible and like coordinate with parents. So let's just say that's what a parent is working with a, right. a school that's not suggesting that they're interested. What next? Like, what does that parent do? Hey, I'm jumping into the middle of this episode real quick to share with you what this club member has to say about their time in the club. They say, what an incredible community. It was my first Connection Co-Regulate session just now, and it was so incredible to share stories and experiences. Perhaps it's even more profound being across the world from each other. Oh, I totally agree that the fact that the club has members from all corners of the world really does make the experience more profound. I want the club to give you parenting tools, but more than that, I want the club to undo the sense of aloneness. I want the club to create community and togetherness. And by bringing to people all over the world, we're able to do just that. The club is open from now until Friday, April 28th, and we would love to have you. Um, that parent has to, <laughs> a parent's got, got quite the hill to climb. Yes. Um, yeah. as you were talking, uh, I just, I got to thinking about the, the, the teachers and the, and the individuals who are working in this system that's got a collective, you know, dysregulated <laughs> situation going on yes. and that, and that that is probably happening all over the country right now in the middle of this um, post-pandemic school year, um, or, or I guess the pandemic is still happening, but the post-quarantine school right, year that, right. that they that they just are coming back from. And yet there are pockets of individuals who recognize that what's happening isn't working, right? Yeah. And um, one of the things that I just wanted to insert here that I know your other guests are probably talking about from the educator side, and that is doing the things we know need to be done for children that have significant trauma impacts like the felt safety and the building the connections and helping them to learn how to regulate themselves by co-regulating with them and by pointing out, you know, like, like actively teaching and pointing out to them when their um, lids start to flip and when they, you know, and, and what they can do, you know, what, what are some of the things that they can do? All of that is fantastic practice for all students. Yes. It's not. It's not harmful yes. to any student. Yes. It's also not a huge time suck. I mean, like I'm. I'm thinking about my my relative and her figure eight um, right. breathing, you know, mindfulness and breathing that she's teaching the first graders, and they're right. doing it after every transition, right? They come back from recess, they come back from music and they, you know, and they regroup and they do this as a group. Plus the children then have the tool for when, if they start to feel dysregulated in the classroom and she's doing that. And it's, and it's really not over impacting 
it's not a negative for any student Mm -hmm. and it's not Mm -hmm. over impacting your school day. So there's all of those things that can get layered in. They don't have to be called trauma-informed if if the system's afraid of those words or SEL or any of those things. They just are good, you know, regulation practices. Yeah, brain-based strategies. Yeah, they're just brain strategies. Just good for all of us. I mean, we all, you know, we all do something to re-regulate ourselves, whether it's right. healthy or not. Right. right. <laughs> and, you know, and, and so why not actively teach those, especially in school, because yeah. you're taught all kinds of other things there. Um, so I, if you have a teacher or educator that you have a relationship with, you can impart some of that information that yeah. I'm not asking for something that's totally different for my child. I'm asking for, you know, for help in teaching my child these things and in keeping the environment, you know, in a consistent um, way so that they can feel safe and they can know what's expected. And, you know, those are, those are good things for all children. Right. To do. Right. Those are, those are really, you know, they're not, it's not going to hurt the rest of the class or take away from the rest of the class, which is often the resistance that you get. If, you know, if, if, if teachers are going, well, I just can't do one more thing. Yes. I can't do something different with yep. your child than I'm doing yep. with everybody else. Yep. You know, then the answer is, well, then do it with everybody. Right. You know, like it's good for, for everybody to get a physical movement break every right. so often, right. you know, it's good for everybody to get these things and, and you, you know, and you might not get resistance there. But the bottom line, Robin, on the ultimate resistance is that you yourself as a family have to decide where is my, you know, where's my, where's my point where I have to say, it is harder for me to fight the resistance I'm getting than it is for us to take other, you know, other avenues. Yes. And a lot of our families whose children have significant impacts have to get to that point. Yeah. And you have to just do that, that, um, that cost benefit analysis, basically, you know, you've got to figure out what is this going to look like to our family. And, you know, and I was there, I mean, I actually, in my wounding, we lost a due process case because I'm, you know, even though I'm not, I'm not su- a super fighter in terms of getting really angry and aggressive. I'm kind of a bulldog and I'm not going to turn loose. Right. Uh-huh. So I was the, the, when our advocate said to me, well, the, you know, you're at a, at a point where you've either got to walk away, you know, take your child and find find another way to, to educate her or turn and fight. Yeah. We turned yeah. and fought mm-hmm. and it was tough. It was two years of legal stuff. And she wasn't getting educated appropriately in that time. And then we ended up losing. And so we ended up having to take a different, um, an entirely different trajectory for her, for her educational career, which ended up for her um, to be exactly what she needed. And we, we, we educated her virtually through a charter school um, that that kept her at home, which, so there was the socialization pieces we had to work on, but gave her a very safe environment to work out of. And, and what emerged was that this, you know, the safer and the more regulated that she was, the more you could see the intelligence and the, and her ability to do the academics that had not been able to be seen. Right. And, you know, and all of the, 
and all of the crazy testing that was all over the charts and, and people couldn't, you know, put her into any kind of category as to what to do next, you know, sort of just didn't matter anymore because she was learning and, Mm -hmm. and, and went on and, and graduated actually with honors from this school. But that was not what I, that was not what we had planned. And it was a major jolt to our family, you know, and a major restructure. So I get, you know, I mean, we we had to go down to one income. There was, you know, all of the, the, our life just changed a lot. And I, I'm, I know that first of all, we're privileged to have been able to do that. Yeah. Right. Um, some families don't have even that much resource to be able to do that. And so I know that, I know that that's a reality and that, um, and that, yeah, there's just lots of reasons that you can't, can't do those, you know, but you, you do need to take a hard look at what alternatives are out there and what might be possible and think outside the box as much as possible, because, you know, our, what we know from the brain science is that children cannot learn when they don't feel safe and they can't stay regulated. Their brains cannot learn. And so, um, you know, so you're sending your child into a situation on a daily basis that, um, that not only is presenting in big behaviors for them and and a big fallout for the school and for you, but isn't, isn't benefiting them in any way, shape or form because they can't feel safe and get regulated and learn. Right. So they're, so, um, you know, so it's important to, to do that. And, and in the midst of that storm, sometimes it's really hard to see what you should do. Oh my God. That's exactly what I was thinking that like, (laughs) You know, to not underestimate that, that feeling we get to, which I can get to too, of like, I have no idea what to do. It's not even possible to do. It needs to be like this. Like I have very specific way I feel and very specific words in my head that let me know I have, I have flipped my lid completely Mm -hmm. and it can feel like there's no solution to this problem. Zero zilch, none. And I need the same thing that we talk about what our kids need is to be seen, heard, co-regulated. And Mm -hmm. while that doesn't necessarily solve all of our problems, it does bring our brains back together and let us think just a little bit more clearly. And then, and then, like you said, and I appreciate you saying, you know, cause I've known families and absolutely in both circumstances where it's like, there is no other option. They do not, there's no option except for to keep sending their kid to that school, right? Because of their job, because of their there's, that is the reality for so many families Mm -hmm. in our country. There is just no other option. And it's also true for a lot of families that it feels like there's no other option. And if we get regulated enough, and then we can start to think outside the box a little bit, get a little bit more creative. And then really, you know, I think there's a a huge time for grieving, right? That like, Mm -hmm. we shouldn't, you know, quote unquote, have to do this. I shouldn't have to quit my job. So my kid can get what they need at school. Like that's supposed right. to be a part of what living in this country is that we have access to free, you know, exactly. public education. No, and, and there's a lot of grief there. So much grief. Um, I think in just coming to terms with like, this isn't fair. This isn't right. It's not what should be happening. And also it is what it is. And right. I have to decide what I'm going to do next. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the two biggest emotions for me when I was going through all of that was first of all, shame, yes. because 
I, I had trained as an educator. Yeah. I came from a family of educators. My grandmother, you know, taught in a one room schoolhouse out in the country. Right. So that, so education was so valuable and yeah. our three other children had all gone to public school. They'd yeah. all excelled at public. You know, I mean, they, they had excelled in their classes. They were, they yeah. were good students and it was just, it was kind of a given. So there's, yeah. so that whole shift out of the given mindset of who our family was, was huge, right? So the the shame was there at first, and then it was the grief. And it was the grief for her that she wasn't getting what everybody else was getting. Right now, in the end, she got exactly what she needed in exactly the way that she needed it, which was, you know, which I, I didn't know when we started that path. Right. <laughs> you know, right. It, just, it just sort of emerged and happened. And, and as we realized it, we're like, you know, because I thought we would virtual school for a year till we figured out what we were going to do next. And mm-hmm. we ended up virtual schooling for a decade. Yeah. Um, and she was, um, you know, and she did a fabulous job. She was, she, she taught me so much about, you know, about yeah. how much our children do underneath all of that want to learn, want to, yes. yes, yes, yes. you know, and so it's, you know, I, I learned so much in that decade from her that I, that I wouldn't trade for anything, you know, <laughs> at this point, but it was awful at the scene. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was not, and it was not the norm. And so you're, you know, you're, you're the culture around you, you know, looks at you sideways going, what are you doing? Right. You know, what, right. Why can't your kid just there? figure it out and be at school yeah. and be at yeah. school and yeah, what's you know, yeah. you're, you're the different ones, you know, yeah. whatever that means. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's, but there's, there's all of that. Um, yeah. In there. And, and yet that's, I mean, that's what we need to get to as a society, I think, is being able to educate every child in the manner in which they need it. And I, yeah. and that's, that's what gives me hope about the schools that are trauma informing themselves and are looking at, you know, at this whole child and, and the brain based is that they, they recognize that the children in front of them are not just, you know, brains to pour academics into they are they're human beings that need to have all of that around them and I think the challenge for teachers because I know there are probably teachers that may even be listening to your podcast that Mm -hmm. are thinking I want to do these things I I I see it I see the need for it I see that it could work and we know at ATN um uh, in our schools program in particular, that teachers doing that in isolation are as challenged as parents are. Yes, um, It has to be a systemic. Yes. And I know you're talking to other guests who've made those systemic changes. And um, I just wanted to throw in that we wholeheartedly agree and see that because yeah. a, a caring teacher you know, in a desert of, of a, of a system that is not trauma informed will burn out as fast as the parents will. Yes. I mean, that because they don't have the support to, you know, to sustain that. And yeah. that's, that's really what is needed is that, that systemic support that yes. says we're going to, we're going to look at children through this lens. Yes, I completely agree. Well, hasn't this just been the best way to start a Friday and a weekend and thank, I mean, just thank you so much for 
being with me this morning and sharing your passion and your story and and also just general information about ATN. So like, I mean, everybody needs to know about what you're offering, what they can find out on your website, how they can get what they need. So now we've got more people who know about you. And if you're listening, don't worry about links. I'll put them all in the show notes. And then there's always a long summary of episodes over on my blog, live links there. So easy to find ATN on the internet, on social media. Um, And then tell us about y'all's podcast, because obviously my podcast is Listeners like podcasts. <laughs> of course. Okay. Well, first of all, parents and teachers can join ATN for free. So you get into our members only area of, of materials there, as well as, as get information about things that, that we're, that we're doing by signing up for free. Um, and you can do that at the website. Our podcast is called uh, regulated and relational uh-huh. and, and Ginger Healy, who heads our parenting program. And I are the, you know, are the, are the folks where the, where the, where sometimes we just talk to each other about some of the, some of the basic um, tenets and definition. I mean, we felt like people needed definitions, right? Yeah, what yeah. does it mean to be regulated? Yeah. And, you know, and, and so we're, we're doing all of those. I think our next issue is a two-parter on shame, which mm-hmm. is huge. Right. Yes. And then we yes. um, we're also going to be interviewing some folks that um, uh, that, are amazing in this field. You you know, Robin, that all the people in this field. Are I know amazing. it's just such a special. It really is. It really is. Yes. Yeah, and then of course our big right now we're as we call internally all conference all the time because yeah. our fifth annual creating uh-huh. trauma sensitive schools conference is February twentieth through twenty fifth. So there'll be two and a half days of in person in Houston, Houston. and there'll be two days on Thursday and Friday of virtual, and they're actually completely different content, except we will be um, videotaping the main stage in Houston to also air. So that, so the virtual will have their own, own workshops and and keynotes that are separate from the keynotes in, in person, but they'll also get to see that main stage as a recorded track. So, well, um, that is a unique way to do this um, live <laughs> virtual um, mashup. And that sounds actually brilliant. I haven't heard anybody. I mean, maybe other people are doing it too. I just haven't heard of a conference doing it that way where like you're basically throwing two conferences at the same time. Which sounds like a tremendous amount of work, but from what I've heard of people who are trying to like stream their live conference to a virtual audience, that sounds, Mm -hmm. everything I've heard just sounds like, that's like the things nightmares are made of. (laughs) Not only is it technologically kind of a nightmare, it's incredibly expensive. Yes. Yeah. To do it that way. So So awesome. Yeah, we 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 decided it was better that way, and it's yeah. actually you know it, it actually doesn't have to be an either or situation. Sure. So if sure. you if you really want the max amount of, of of content and information, you can come join us in Houston for you know for the live relational piece of all of that, and then because Wednesday's the dead day, if you will, between that schedule, get home real fast and log on and see the rest of the conference or watch. The that afterwards because it'll be it'll be up for 90 days right yeah well that's brilliant I love that so yeah so there's a a lot of content and we you know and I can tell you with a surety Robin that we're more than doubling our numbers from from last year so So exciting there's you know educators are looking for this information and we're we're 
we feel so blessed to just be in the center of that and being yeah. able to try to deliver that. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's, that's, that's our passion is to make sure that that like it's out there because we know how many children that's helping. Yes. Wow. Gosh, y'all. Okay. So we've got all the things parents and educators can go join ATN for free, get access to all the good stuff. We've got your podcast and we've got the upcoming conference, which people can go to live in person or catch virtually, or it sounds like both. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, just with so much, so much gratitude for what y'all just keep doing. I mean, I know this is an uphill battle and sometimes it's just really hard work. It's just really, let's just put it at that. This is very hard work. And so when I have the opportunity to connect with people who are still doing the work after all these years and through the pandemic, I'm, I mean, I just overflow with gratitude that you have found a way to care for yourself enough that you can just keep showing up and doing this work. Cause Holy smokes do families need it now more than ever. So thank you for what you do and what all of ATN does. Well, thank you, Robin, and thank you for what you do and the and the families that you that you touch and support and for you know getting all this work out. That's that's important. Yeah. Thanks, Julie. Already, y'all, the Creating Trauma Sensitive Schools Conference is currently open for registration. You can go live, you can attend virtually, or both. If I still lived in Texas, I'd definitely be heading to the live conference. Head over to the ATN website so you can see all the resources they offer far beyond trauma-informed school advocacy. Remember, parents and educators can join ATN for free. I'll make sure that links right to ATN are in the show notes for the podcast, as well as over on the long summary that I post with every podcast over on my website. As always... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me, for doing what you do, for loving kids, for loving yourself, and for staying hopeful that we can make changes in the world for our kids, for their kids, and really y'all just for everyone. I will see you next week. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief? Like, yes, finally. Someone gets me and my kids, but also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events, including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now... You can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. 
Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory so families all over the world could find you, then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash being with, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you can get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you can just head to my website download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now and I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.